Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Daily Premier League News and Views. This is Football Social Daily. The Gunners gunned down on enemy soil last night. Captain Kane and Super Son doing the damage as Tottenham beat Arsenal in the biggest North London derby for years. But did Arsenal shoot themselves in the foot or was there some sabotage from the match officials? If you're of Tottenham persuasion, you'd say the former. If you're Mikel Arteta, you'd be leaning towards the latter. We'll pick apart last night's crunch clash in the race for Champions League football as well as Mikel's misgivings on today's show as Tottenham beat the Gunners by three goals to nil. Plus, big transfer news continues to happen as not only has Haaland touched down in the Premier League, but Aston Villa have confirmed their loan deal for Felipe Coutinho has been made permanent. He's staying after making the switch from Barcelona. Coutinho might have been a pricey signing a few years ago, but one player who's been invaluable to Manchester City is Sergio Aguero. The legendary striker had a new statue unveiled outside the Etihad Stadium today, as 10 years has now passed since his iconic 93rd minute strike to clinch the Premier League title. Just how influential has that goal been in the decade since? All of that to come on today's episode of Football Social Daily. My name's Niall and with me today we've got Joel Tudor to compound the misery on what's been a dreadful Manchester United season. We're talking about 93-20 in Aguero today, Joel. Morning, mate. How are you doing? Why do, why do you always have to trigger this PTSD? I mention it nearly every podcast now. Uh, but at least we've got <laughs> Owen with us who's going to bring some positivity and his side actually won today, uh, yesterday. Um, so I'm going to just kind of manifest that a little bit, I think. <laughs> and as Joel says, making a first full appearance, I'd say, on the show this season. And he's left it late, by the way. We're only 10 days to go until the end of the campaign. Sports Social's Owen Carswell. Hey up, Owen. How are you doing? Morning, mate. All good. Now, with that thick Lancashire accent, I'm sure you're all wondering who Owen actually supports. Joel's hinted at it. So go on, Owen. Reveal to everyone what team you're a follower of. Um probably the most northern Tottenham fan in England I would say um, but what can we do it's uh I've been given this burden by my father a, a very a very happy Tottenham fan albeit a northern one and you can understand why with yesterday's game in the Premier League 
Arsenal against Tottenham at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The North London derby is always worth watching every season, whether it be home or away. But that extra added spice last night of the fact that Champions League football is at stake and it finished Tottenham 3, Arsenal 0. Arsenal were down to 10 men. Rob Holding got sent off, but Spurs... At home, in front of a full crowd at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's the first time Arsenal, I think, have played in that ground in front of supporters. They got the job done. And Antonio Conte, before the game, Owen, he pulled no punches in the build-up. He said that this was a win-at-all-costs game because the Champions League is no doubt at stake. If Spurs had lost, they might well have been out of the running. But they did win and they did what Conte uh, wanted them to do. So you must be very happy this morning. Yeah, definitely. Um, It felt like a a real like winner's performance, if you know what I mean. Everyone knew what the job was. We dominated. Obviously, up until the, the sending off, Arsenal were, were pretty decent for the first 10 minutes, I would say, but they didn't look threatening. Like They didn't really have many chances on goal in that first 10. And I think, yeah, they just self-destructed, as you said. Yeah, I definitely think that that's a good word to use, self-destruct, because obviously holding got sent off. Um but at that point, Spurs, they did they did look sort of dangerous as well. But, you know, you can't keep getting players sent off in the big games, Joel, because it's always going to damage you. No, you're right. And like you say, I think they just self-sabotaged themselves so early on. It was, what, 27, no, 33 minutes in the game was pretty much done and dusted. And Rob Holding lived up to his name because he couldn't stop holding on to Son for half an hour. So that's the reason why he ended up walking so early. Um, but yeah, like you say, I mean, it was the atmosphere looks ridiculous. It felt like before the game, even though I, um, I caught glimpses of it, you could just kind of tell that the tide was going to swing into Spurs' favour because I feel like with Arsenal, when it comes to these big occasions against the big sides where there's a lot of stakes riding on it, they just feel to me like a deer in headlights. Like I would never back them if it was ever an away game. Um, with such pressure on it it just seemed like Spurs were just far more equipped and if you think about it in terms of having Conte on your side or Arteta if it came to a one-off game to decide something I think everyone knows who they're going to pick for that uh, just in terms of like how the squad lays out but I, I have sympathy for Arsenal as well because it was basically Cedric and Holden which basically ended the game for them within half an hour and those two are just so far from Arsenal quality that it's actually quite painful to see um, because they're just so under the quality that Arteta's probably looking for. Obviously, they've got a few injuries. Ben White probably would have uh, slotted in there instead. But, I mean, Son literally just bullied Holding completely for the first half an hour and it showed big time. Um, and he just showed just his level below the rest of the team. But it was just... It was such a good performance, especially by the the, the front two of Tottenham. I think Son's on 21 Premier League goals now. He only needs one to catch up with Salah. And that's gone so under the radar this season. Um, I've not really seen many people talk about him in the same light as, well, everyone else. But he's just been unbelievable this season. He just doesn't get the props he deserves, I think. Yeah, for me, it's been like that through Son's whole career. I think he's an unbelievable player. I think he's a really underrated player. And we'll come back onto the red card in a sec. But seeing as you've brought up Son, we may as well ask you about it, Owen, seeing as you watch him every week. And as Joel says, 21 goals for the season now in the Premier League. He looked annoyed to be taken off. No doubt he's thinking about that golden boot. He's one behind Salah in that race. None of his goals this season have been penalties. Do you think with the games that Spurs have got left and the the momentum now that they might have gained from beating Arsenal last night, do you think he'll go on and do it and win the Golden Boot? 
I hope so. I think if any any player in the Premier League deserves it, it's probably him. Like you say, like he he, he goes under the radar a lot. Um, and he has his entire Premier League career. I know the first season he came, he was a bit shaky, but apart from that, he's just improved and improved and improved. And I think this is a player that we're talking who's on the same level as a, as a Mane and as a Salah even this season. Like I don't know if that's bias, but if 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 the goal tally is there, he can't be that far off. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean he's he's again an excellent performance last night, and the the Kane combination that he's managed to strike up him and Kane as a partnership. I think that am I right in thinking they've got the most sort of assists or goals between them, um, like the partnership goal involvements in the Premier League in history, which is just unbelievable. Um, the 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 partnership that those two. Have formed. Um, let's go back to that red card then, because Mikel Arteta, after the game, was very, very cagey and stony-faced in his post-match interview after the 3-0 defeat, Joel. He said that he couldn't tell the truth about his thoughts on the referee, otherwise he'd be suspended for six months. That's a direct quote from Mikel Arteta, by the way. Do you think holding should have been sent off? Does Mikel Arteta have a case to be aggrieved at the decisions from the match officials? He felt like a Poundland Mourinho with the way he reacted at the end, the way he was talking in subliminals. Remember that time when Mourinho was like minute 24, minute 75, go and check them out and they didn't say anything else. Um, I think it was the correct decision, especially the second one. He literally just swung his elbow at Son as he was going through and it just wasn't needed at all. Um, it was just, it just looked very naive in his defending. It's not like he's a young defender who's still learning his craft in the Premier League, he's been he's been in for quite a long time now. Um, and I just think it was just very, very just silly defending, very thoughtless, especially, I just think the occasion probably got to him in terms of, you know, have, feeling like he needed to win every challenge and feeling like he needed to put his body on the line every time instead of being quite smart, especially against Son, who everyone knows has got the pace on him every single day of the week and can run him behind him. Um, I just think he was a bit fearful of that and really tried to impose himself quite early on. But it was just, I don't think Arteta can have any complaints whatsoever, even for the penalty as well. It was just completely blatant. Um, And like I say, it just came from the two weak spots in their side, which is Cedric and Rob Holding. And I'm sure Arteta will look at that game now and just think next season we cannot be in a situation where we have these weak links in our side, especially against uh, a Tottenham side, which has the quality to expose it. Son exposed it within half an hour very quickly. Um, And obviously that's because of injuries as well, but it was, it was, I think you can't have any complaints. Well, we said it all season, Joel, and someone was actually saying it on national radio last night. I can't remember who it was, but I had a little listen whilst the game was going on. And someone was mentioning how, um, you know, Arsenal, you'd expect them to beat the teams that are worse than them as they have done all season, which is why they're up and around the Champions League positions. But in the games against elite quality attackers and saying Kane and Son are elite quality, Liverpool's attackers are elite quality, City's are, um, they just don't ever look up to it. They, they look a bit frail and a bit fragile, but yet against some of the other teams with no disrespect to the likes of Wolves um, and Southampton and Brighton and teams of that ilk that you'd expect Arsenal to beat, they get the job done. But is that something that Arteta needs to address because when Arsenal lose these games they don't just lose them 1-0 or 2-1 they get hammered they've lost 3-0 and I know they've lost by a number of goals to Manchester City I think at the start of the season they got whacked by City so I know City and Liverpool are a step above in terms of quality but for an Arsenal side that dreams to be competitive you can't be getting smashed about 3-0. Yeah, I know. I, I maybe Owen will agree with me on this as well, but I know that points tally basically 
tells you who deserves to go in what position. When you look at, for example, I mean, it's quite logical, isn't it? But I mean, when you look at... That is how the um, table works, Joel, to be fair. <laughs> Marco-esque. Um, but when you look at, for example, when Tottenham have played all of the top teams this season, they've beaten Manchester City, they've took points off Liverpool, um, they haven't taken points off Manchester United this season, just wanted to add. And um, they've... they've, they've showing themselves in the bigger games whereas Arsenal especially against the bigger teams well apart from the Chelsea away but that was kind of when they were on a bit of a downward spiral they still struggle to show up in the much tougher games um, and for me I, I said just prior to the podcast I feel as though they're way more equipped for Champions League football especially under Conte as well um, but Owen do you reckon that Tottenham will be able to actually get into the top four this season or is it going to be a bit of a tough ass seeing Arsenal drop some points in the next two games? I think Newcastle away is going to be a difficult game for them, especially after just getting battered 5-0 by Man City. I think Newcastle, last game, last home game of the season for them, I think they're going to want to prove something. Um, and then Everton. I think, but yeah, and Everton obviously it depends on the situation. If they're still fighting, I feel like that's got Deli Ali written written <laughs> all over it. <laughs> Score the winner, secure the Champions League football for the boys. I think, but um, I think we have to look at Tottenham as well, though, because it's it's Tottenham's story to win the massive game against Arsenal and then go and lose or draw against Burnley. <laughs> we know that that's a, a reoccurring thing that happens all the time. Um, but I think the fixtures favour Tottenham more. But obviously, it's still in Arsenal's, Arsenal's hands at the minute. Well, there'll be a lot of pressure as well on Arsenal, won't they? Because they can't afford to even drop points now. Because even if they draw a game... Well, basically, yeah. Tottenham have to win their remaining two to have any contention. But when you've got yeah. Michael Jackson against you in the next round, I mean, <laughs> you, can't, you can't go against him. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's outline the table now, since you mentioned it. Uh, Chelsea are third on 70 points, and there's a four-point gap between them and Arsenal, who still remain fourth on 66 points. Victory last night for Tottenham means that they're just a point back in fifth on 65 points. Manchester United are way back, seven points behind, so it will be between Arsenal and Tottenham for that final Champions League place. And if you look at the fixtures, as you say, Arsenal have got Newcastle United um, coming up in their next fixture at the weekend, and then they've got Everton on the final day. As for Tottenham Hotspur, they take on Burnley on Sunday lunchtime. That's a, a midday kickoff on Sunday. And then I think their final game of the season is away at Norwich so I suppose from a Spurs perspective Owen you've got two sides there um, one of them fighting to stay up in Burnley who have really seen an upturn and as Joel jokes you know Michael Jackson who's actually just won the April manager of the month award by the way but final day of the season Norwich away I mean you couldn't have asked for a, a better game than that if you know you need a win to to get in the fourth place um, you'd be handpicking Norwich wouldn't you yeah definitely um, like I say it's, it's it's just on us to win them games and then just like it's not in our hands. It's it's all Arsenal's to lose, to be honest. Um, and the last day of the season, I, I hope, I imagine, we'll be beating Norwich. Like I don't think that's a stretch to say that. Like you say, we would pick them to play. Um, and to be honest, I want to see Arsenal lose because the 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 content on the documentary is going to be elite if they get <laughs> if they don't make Champions League. No, <laughs> I mean I want to ask you quickly before we move on about Conte as well. He's come in. There are a few question marks um, over why he took the Tottenham position, considering. Uh, we know how stubborn, stubborn Daniel Levy is at the helm of Tottenham. Uh, there was also a moment in which I think Tottenham lost to Burnley in a midweek game a few months back and then he did an interview 
after the game suggesting that maybe he wasn't earning his paycheck and he could even walk out of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. He didn't. He stayed. And now reports are suggesting that he could be given sort of an extended deal and maybe the opportunity to spend some money in the summer. I suppose as a Spurs fan, that's exactly what you'd want to see. Yeah, definitely. It it feels a lot like... It, now in his um, pre-match pre- press conferences, he's using the term we a lot more in the last few weeks, whereas before it wasn't really like aligning himself with that. He was like staying far from saying anything that could potentially lead to him staying with the club. And I think just like the way he's come in moulded this team into... Like when we had Nuno at the start of the season, we never would imagine we'd be in this position now. Definitely not. And I think the way he's just turned it round is he's an elite manager. And if he doesn't back him, it's it's a waste because who are we gonna get after that? There, there isn't. There's literally no one else better we could have as a manager of our club at the minute. And if he doesn't back him, then <sighs> I don't know. But we've seen it before with Daniel Levy. <laughs> he's not. He's not a easy person to predict, is he? No, no, you're absolutely right. And actually, Fabrizio Romano, the renowned transfer expert on social media, has said that Tottenham can't lose Antonio Conte at the end of the season. I'm not sure whether that's a can't as in he's secure. It's more of a can't lose him as in they just can't really let him go because the way he's transformed the club. Um, And it says here that Antonio Conte will meet with Daniel Levy at the end of the season to decide his future. Well, will Tottenham's future be in the Champions League? We'll still have to wait and see because there are a couple of games to go until the end of the season. But last night's game... At the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in the North London derby, finished Tottenham 3, Arsenal 0. Right, we're going to talk about some transfer news next because last night, under the radar in amidst all of the carnage at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Felipe Coutinho signed a permanent deal for Aston Villa. We'll talk about what that means for the Birmingham club next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your award-winning daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. Seven days a week, every day of the season, a brand new episode of the podcast for you. So if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss one. Only a few days to go until the end of the season. And then after that, it is the transfer window, of course. And everyone has been keeping close tabs on exactly who might be arriving in the Premier League this summer. We've already heard that Erling Haaland will be linking up with Manchester City. That's an exciting signing. But for Aston Villa fans, they're equally is excited because they've managed to convert Felipe Coutinho's loan deal from Barcelona into a permanent one. Clearly, Joel, Coutinho is Aston Villa's best player. I don't think that that really takes a genius to figure out, even if you don't watch Villa that regularly. I think it's quite clear once you watch their games who their best player is. So naturally, I think everyone can agree this is a good decision to sign him up permanently. Yeah, I I mean, two years ago when Bartomeu was signing Dembele and him for a combined, I think it was 310 million, you would never have thought that two years later he'd take a 120 million pound loss and he'd go to Aston Villa. It's just... yeah, 17 million pounds, by the way, is what Villa have paid for him. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, it just shows how badly run Barcelona were to be making these kind of signings and then suddenly it's all the legacy of his of his um, tenure there is literally showing itself. But for but for Aston Villa, I bet they never would have thought they'd be able to get a player of that quality. Someone who's been in the Champions League a good amount of time, been in title races, um, 
in La Liga and in the Premier League as well. It's a it is a top signing, um, especially when I watched him on his debut against United, and of course he had to show up on the day, and I think he scored two goals that day. Um, but I think he just adds so much quality, especially since the big hole that Grealish left in terms of that playmaker role, the kind of talisman in the side. I think he definitely takes over that role really nicely. Um, and for 17 million, I mean, that's an absolute pip considering the players available at the moment. I don't think you'd be able to get a player of similar quality for that amount. It would probably be someone who's still learning the trade or is a bit unproven, but um, I don't think he's going to reach the levels that he did at Liverpool. I think that player has completely vanished now. Um, it seemed to have vanished even when he first joined Barcelona and even when he went to Bayern Munich as well for a short period. Um, but I think it's really good signing. I think Gerard will be really pleased that they've been able to secure that. And I'm surprised that not a lot of other big European clubs wanted to go in for it as well because that's a it's, it's cheap, relatively cheap compared to what you would usually be paying that for. So um, I think it's, it's a top signing. It just shows the ambition of Villa at the moment, which you never would have thought of a few years ago when they were facing relegation and they should have gone down if it wasn't for um, yeah. Hawkeye messing around on that final day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. It is a bargain when you consider they've paid £17 million for him. He has taken a massive wage drop to play for Villa. But considering he was sold from Liverpool to Barcelona in 2018 for £142 million, I don't think that there's any question that Aston Villa have got themselves a good deal because, you know, even a player of Coutinho's quality who hadn't been sold for that massive price tag being signed for £17 million from Barcelona. I think that's a very, very good deal. I think what it shows, Owen, and I don't know if you agree, is that, you know, the club have got ambition. They've obviously attracted Steven Gerrard to the the club as their manager, but the fact that Coutinho's now put pen to paper, does that maybe encourage other top quality players to to come and give Aston Villa a go? I, I think the, rela- the pre-existing relationship with Gerrard definitely is a massive factor for Coutinho signing. I'm not sure if other big European players would go. Um, uh, like we say, they're in 12th at, at the minute and I know they've had a change in manager and stuff this season. I just I don't see them breaking into any European spots, to be honest, within the next season. Um, so I think it, it just depends on how well they can they can finish, I think. But... Like I say, I can't imagine really any more big European names going there, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it it feels like maybe that they're going to need to improve on the field, Joel, if they are going to start attracting more Felipe Coutinho's. But we know Stephen Gerrard has played with some top players. We know he's a well-respected player in his day. And of course, he's done well in his managerial career, albeit it's short so far. Uh, Owen's right. 12th place Aston Villa I think they've got minus one goal difference 43 points they're about as middle of the road as a Premier League side as you can get this season I personally agree with Owen I can't see them cracking into the top seven anytime soon what do you expect next season from Aston Villa under Steven Gerrard well I think one of the big factors is their owners are absolutely cash dripping um, in terms of what they can give to the to the club and they've shown it as well in the last few seasons they're not afraid to put their hands in the pockets and invest in the side um, I think one of the best things about this transfer is that typically as a fan of that club you would think that he's a mercenary you know coming for the salary but he's taken a massive uh, pay cut to actually come to Aston Villa which I think shows a lot of 
kind of humility, I guess. Um, imagine going from Barcelona to Aston Villa. I, I imagine it it takes a bit of you know humbleness to say I'm not at that level anymore. But I think that yeah, I agree with both of you. I don't see Aston Villa. I would. I don't see Aston Villa breaking into that top seven, top eight. If in all honesty, I probably see Brighton doing that, and that's purely because they have the better manager. Um, I've not been massively impressed with Gerard in the in the time he's been there. Maybe it'll start to improve a little bit more as he develops his side. But I mean, when you look at the work that Graham Potter's done, but of course that's he's like three four years ahead. Um, maybe we can judge Gerard a little bit more fairer when he gets to that stage. But I mean, I I don't see Villa really mounting any kind of challenge. But then when you look at, for example, West Ham. Um, they were pretty much relegation battling before Moyes took over and now suddenly the tables turned they've had an amazing European journey um, a lot of their players are being touted for massive moves to other different clubs so you just never know it all just relies on the recruitment to be honest recruitment can either make or break your side and we've seen it at West Ham we've seen it at Brighton um, and maybe we'll see it at Aston Villa but it just remains to be seen if they can have a similar kind of recruitment strategy which means that they can have these hidden talisman because you can't aim for the best of the best because they're kind of reserved for all the the best rich sides aren't they i'm going to be a massive cynic here and play devil's advocate so if you are listening to today's episode and think that this is truly my opinion maybe you should just uh, check that for a second because is there an argument owen to suggest that you know the premier league because it's so wealthy and the clubs can afford to pay the best wages in Europe um, I don't think there's any doubt about that you know from 1 to 20 I mean obviously the top clubs in other European leagues can pay similar wages but in terms of right throughout the Premier League and, and wage balance you know a team that's 15th in the Premier League is likely to be able to afford better wages for a player than the team that's 15th in Serie A or La Liga for example so with that in mind and me being cynical is there an argument to suggest that these top players are just coming to the Premier League and playing for any club simply because they're able to pick up a better wage than they would do elsewhere. A good example for me would be when Carlo Ancelotti became the manager of Everton. I really like Everton. Uh, They're a a great club, a historic club. I'd love to see them stay up this season. But let's not kid ourselves. The reason Ancelotti went to manage Everton is because he was going to be the best paid manager on planet Earth. There's no other reason why he would have joined Everton. No disrespect. Even with all the history and everything um, that they've got behind them, the only reason someone of Ancelotti's calibre would have joined Everton would be for the money. I think about Manchester United, who signed Ibrahimovic, who was still a good player um, when he went there. Uh, but obviously someone who was able to, to scoop up some wages. Cavani, very, very similar situation. Uh, Thiago Silva's been unbelievable for Chelsea since he signed, but he's 38, I think, coming up soon. Um, and he's still going to be able to afford to be paid a significant wage. Do you think there's an element of that to it that you see in the likes of Coutinho signing for clubs like Aston Villa and mid-table Premier League sides just simply because the wages are there, whereas they wouldn't have been in, in any other sort of mid-table European club in a different league? Yeah, we could ourselves think that money isn't a massive factor in why players move clubs. It definitely is. But also, on the opposite side of that, the Premier League is the best league in the world. Like, Evidently, like Man-, Man City and Liverpool, probably the best two teams in Europe. Like, it's it, it, They could be wanting to come to test themselves against the best players, if you know what I mean. It's like Conte said, in um, Serie A, in when he was playing, had all the best players, so all the players wanted to go there to test themselves against them. And I feel like the Premier League is that now. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's it's delusional to think that players don't move for money, definitely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Felipe Coutinho, though, has signed for Aston Villa for not so much money. £17 million in the modern market is a bit of a snip. So he'll be wearing that claret and blue Villa shirt permanently from next season. Now, talking of next season, a lot of people will be looking ahead to that. Will Manchester City or Liverpool win the Premier League title this season and defend it next we're actually 10 years on from the time that City first did it in 2012. 93-20, Aguero's famous last-minute goal. We'll be talking and reflecting about that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome back. My name's Niall. I've got Owen and Joel alongside me and it is 10 years this week since Sergio Aguero scored a last-minute goal for Manchester City for them to beat Queen's Park Rangers by three goals to two and hand them the Premier League title on goal difference at the expense of Manchester United. That goal came in the 93rd minute. 93.20 was the exact time on the clock. And that's what it's colloquially referred to, both in the Premier League and, of course, by Manchester City fans. Ten years on since that moment, I remember exactly where I was when that goal went in, Joel. Obviously, you're a Manchester United fan, so you'll remember that for the, the wrong reasons. Is that the greatest single moment, as much as it might be painful for you to admit, in the history of the Premier League, yeah, I mean, you would, yeah, you would say so, just because of the fact of the two teams being involved were just neighbor neighbor rivals, and it went down to the final day. I don't think a, a league title's ever gone down to goal difference as well. So just the rarity of it all, and how unlikely that was going to be. But I'm still so angry at how QPR literally threw that game. I mean, Paddy Kenny, I would have done a better job in goal in those last two games. I would have done a better job trying to save Jacko's header and Aguero's strike in the last one. He just literally stood there like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, objectively, you have to say it is one of the bigger moments in the in the league. I don't think something like that would ever happen again. Um, but... Looking at the, the the statue of him, it looks a bit more like Tony Cruz, to be honest. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I think the same, but it, it looks like, yeah, it definitely has a bit of Tony Cruz about it. But it's that was a massive moment in City's uh, history and their future going forward because I think it gave them massive belief in terms of you know signings and in terms of the direction that they were going in. And um, because the year before, I think they would won just the FA Cup when United won the final uh, Premier League under Alex Ferguson. But that title definitely just shifted the, I think, the mentality of where they wanted to go to and also the fact that they could able to, they were able to attract even better players. But even at that point, the recruitment had been so good where they obviously managed to get Sergio Aguero, they had David Silva, Yaya Torre. Um, but again, like Mancini said when he was speaking about it, these were players who no other European side even were massively in for so you do have to give credit for them for that because the the way in which they went about it even though they had an absolute truckload of money that they could have splashed on everyone but they were so smart in the signings um and even though you just have money it doesn't necessarily mean early on that is going to spark uh, trophies that soon on it's like kind of newcastle um i don't believe they'll be anywhere near a title for a number of years where a city just because of the decisions that they made, were able to really 
uh, fasten that process up really quickly. But yeah, it was not a good day. I remember I was watching it on a stream because I was out and then the stream froze just the Aguero <laughs> hitting it. And I was like, do I refresh? <laughs> and then as soon as I refreshed it, it was just pandemonium everywhere. It wasn't a good moment. Yeah, I was in the back of my mum and dad's car. We were driving somewhere. I can't remember where it was. We were listening to it on the radio. And uh, yeah, it was just chaos. It was brilliant. It was a great moment. And as I say, um, it's probably the greatest single moment in the history of the Premier League. I think Leicester's title win in fifteen sixteen runs it very, very close. Because that, as we all know, was a remarkable achievement from Claudio Ranieri and those Leicester boys. 5,000 to one shot of that happening. So I think those two are, are quite clearly the two best moments in Premier League history. The Aguero goal, 93-20 and Leicester's title win in 2016. As you mentioned, Joel, there has been an Aguero statue unveiled of that famous pose of him whipping the shirt off and spinning it round his head. And when asked about it, Owen, the city chairman, Haldun Al-Mubarak, says that that goal changed everything for Manchester City. And it's kind of like what Joel's touched upon. Can you see where he's coming from? Because that won them a first title in the Premier League era by goal difference right at the very end at the expense of a Manchester United side who had been so successful and were the dominant force in English football under Sir Alex Ferguson. If that Aguero shot had been saved or it hit the post or Manchester United had won the title on goal difference, I think a lot of people would have said, well, City are going to be a force to be reckoned with in coming years. But the fact that they actually did it and they beat Manchester United to the title with all of those great players that United had, do you think that kind of set Man City on their way? Yeah, that was definitely the turning point. Like you say, Man United dominated the league for however many years with the odd like Chelsea league win and an Arsenal one, regrettably. Um, but yeah, I, I think that moment definitely solidified them as they're, they're here now, like Man City have entered the chat kind of thing. Um, and I think just from then on, like we, we've seen it, haven't we? Like Man City have just been the dominant force from then on in really. As, again, Chelsea have won it on the occasion, but apart from that, it's just Man City's every and at the start of every season you're thinking it's either City or Liverpool but City just so so good at winning the title it's just become a habit for them I think and I think the culture at the club is if we're we're going to win the league title and if you're not here to do that like goodbye if you know what I mean in the 10 years since that goal so much has changed hasn't it Joel it's a bigger league it's bolder it's brasher it's got better players better managers it's exploded in the last decade and it's almost a a bigger beast than it ever was before in some ways did that Aguero moment that goal define a point in which the Premier League became what it is today because we talk about that competitive element it doesn't get more down to the wire than that does it to be honest I think the moment that changed the Premier League pendulum swing was when Alex Ferguson retired to be honest because it literally gave a free go at the like the mantelpiece to take over the power uh, like the, the reins in the Premier League so to say and as soon as that happened United have basically been in the shadows for the last 10 years and then suddenly Manchester City have gone on another strength and Liverpool have begun to go, mm. go on to another strength. Because um, let's not Am forget- Am I right in thinking oh. that Sir Alex would have retired that season had United won the title, but he decided to stay on another year and, and get it back? I don't know whether that's um, 
kind of an old wives tale i'm not too sure i can't i I remember reading that his decision was made in the december prior to winning the title in his final season i don't know if it had much of an impact but i think even still he would never have left it at that um he was always going to try and win that title back because that would have been probably the lowest moment of his career by an absolute mile but i think i definitely agree with you in the fact that following that city moment of following alex ferguson retiring suddenly the Premier League got even richer in terms of its commercial aspects and they were able to attract the likes of Guardiola over and Jurgen Klopp, Antonio Conte, uh, Pochettino suddenly started to rise. Everything started to get a little bit bigger um, compared to before where even though there was always the top managers, it was the ones that had been there for a good 15 years, which was Arsene Wenger and um, Alex Ferguson. Then obviously you had Mourinho in, in drips and drabs and you had Ancelotti in drips and drabs, but it was never a long term. Now it feels as though there's a bit of a more long term battle between all the biggest managers at the moment. Um, and it is definitely, I think, much tougher to, for example, win three in a row. I think may, maybe City will do it next year, but it's gone even more competitive than I think before. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a defining moment that for City and also for United as well, because once Ferguson retired, it's just been pretty much a sinking ship. <laughs> yeah, I mean, congratulations to Aguero for that statue and what a moment it was 10 years ago. But let's fast forward 10 years on till today, 13th of May 2022. The Premier League table looks like this. City are top on 89 points. Liverpool are second on 86 points. The fact City have scored 10 goals in their last two games against Wolves and Newcastle United respectively means that the goal difference is very firmly in their favour. Liverpool's goal difference is positive 65 and Manchester City's is plus 72. So it doesn't look like we're going to get a goal difference scenario, Owen. But do you think that we'll have another 93-20 scenario come the final day of the season next Sunday? Or do you think that it will pretty much stay as it is? I think... We all dream that that's going to happen because it's great for the neutral, um, but I can't see it to be honest. I think the the getting knocked out by Madrid in the Champions League really like lit a fire under all the players, and they just they just come back with a vengeance. To be honest, like they're not going to win that. They're not going to go this season without winning something, especially after that disappointing result. I think. Yeah, it's impossible, isn't it? I think I was just looking at the table then and Manchester City have got a goal difference of 72 and Manchester United have got a goal difference of one. Yeah, uh, that, that's, that's insane. That, it's unbelievable, the pendulum swing. It's, unbel- it's, it's not even it's heard of, that kind of thing. You say it's impossible. I don't know if you guys managed to take in any of the lower league football over the last couple of weeks, but Bristol Rovers needed a seven-goal <laughs> swing to get promotion from League Two to League One. They had Scunthorpe United, who were the relegated side, on the final day of the season, and they won 7-0 and got promoted in the automatic promotion spots on goal difference. Well, now so, I think the fact that Liverpool have to play Southampton and we know they love a 9-0 thriller, <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out So just yet, considering that. <laughs> uh, going all Kevin Keegan, I would love it if that happened. I would absolutely <laughs> love it if that happened. Uh, Joel, Owen, great to have you on. Thanks for your time, as always. This is Football Social Daily. That's us done for another week, but we will be back again a little bit later on with the dugout. Talking of Southampton, I'll be joined by two former Southampton players. Difficult for me as a Pompey fan, but they're two good lads in Francis Benali and Dean Hammond. We'll be talking about this weekend's upcoming FA Cup final between Chelsea and Liverpool and what it's actually like to play under the arch as Dean Hammond's someone who's experienced 
experience that. We'll also be talking about the big games in the top flight this weekend. Leeds, Burnley and Everton all have massive games. Leeds at the moment, 18th. Can they avoid returning to the Championship after only two years back in the top flight? We'll discuss that. And we'll also talk about what actually happens at the end of a Premier League season. Are players well and truly on the beach at this stage. We'll get the mindset of a player from those two gentlemen a little bit later on. If you hit subscribe, you won't miss the dugout. That'll be out um, around about half seven UK time Friday evening. We'll catch you the other side of the weekend where Fergal Brennan will be back looking back across the weekend's action. But we'll see you then here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.